this morning, Lord willing, we are going to wrap up our series just simply called Friends. But I'm going to begin this morning with a little earthly wisdom. Anybody who sleeps like a baby doesn't have one, right? And he who laughs last thinks slowest. That's right. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Yeah, that's right. Some of you like that one because you're not the early bird, I know. People are more strongly opposed to fur than to leather because it's safer to harass rich women than biker gangs. Right? Yeah. Nobody spray painting coats on biker gangs, you know what I mean? Some minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. And that's why we pray. We might not like to own that or acknowledge that, but you know, all of us sometimes we get kind of set in our ways and our mindsets and attitudes need to be changed sometimes. We need to be open to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us things and to receive that, to think a different way. And today, as we wrap up this series, I just want to do a real brief review. The first message was real friends. We need real friends. God has made us in such a way that we just do better together. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And so there are a lot of people in the world and even in the body of Christ that are just trying to make it, just do it all on their own. But we're stronger, we're smarter, we're more spiritual together. The second message was the right friends. Your friends can be a tremendous blessing to you in your life or they can be something that brings trouble and problems into your life, a negative influence. We read this Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's important that we choose our friends carefully. Remember the scripture says choose them. It's not something that we haphazardly do, but we choose them carefully. Last week, we talked about how to be a great friend, and Jesus is our example of a great friend, a friend that's closer than a brother. A great friend is a faithful friend, a trustworthy friend, a friend that will tell you the truth. A a great friend is a spiritual friend, somebody that will help you get closer to God, and we want to be that kind of friend to other people. This morning, we're going to talk about being a friend to the lost. We can't reach them if we don't care about them. (laughs) We can't reach the lost if we refuse to have anything to do with them. And we can't reach the lost if we won't even talk to them or help them. They don't care what we know until they know we care. And I want you to understand this morning as we talk about being a friend to the lost, we're not just talking about those who have maybe never known the Lord or known about Jesus, but we're also talking about the many who at one time had a relationship with the Lord or at least went to church, and somehow they've lost their way. They're lost, and they need a friend to help them home. Much of the time, 
People get an error when it comes to doctrine and spiritual truth and the things that we learn from the Word of God when they take one truth to the exclusion of all others. They take one phrase or one verse of the Bible and listen, it may be a truth, but then they just use it like a bulldozer to run over all of the rest of the truth of Scripture. And anytime we get that mentality, we're going to end up in the ditch. See, you can err to either side of the truth. And so we need to always take the whole counsel of the Word of God. You always, first and foremost, if you're going to interpret Scripture, this is the first and foremost rule. You interpret Scripture in the light of other Scripture. So if what you believe about a certain verse, a certain truth, doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture... You've got it wrong somewhere. You've got some more learning to do. And most of us have experienced that. If you've read the Bible very much, there's some things that almost seem to be contradictory. And we just need to continue to learn and to grow. And so what I'm saying to you this morning, see, this is really important when we're talking about how we have to have the right friends in our life, those that are closest to us, those that you know, we allow to influence us. But at the same time, we also need to be a friend to the lost. See, some people really struggle with this. How can God be a God of judgment and a God of mercy? And most people want to make him either one or the other. And of course, the popular thing in our culture is that it's all about mercy and love. And they reject the idea that God is a God of judgment. Listen, both are absolutely true. Because the truth is, is that without God being a just judge, a God of judgment, we don't even need mercy. And without his mercy, none of us would last a day. Because Lamentation says that it's of his mercy that we are not consumed. we got to have both. You know, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And most people think it's one or the other. Oh no, they work together. And there seems to be this tension between grace and truth, but in reality, they work perfectly together in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who preached the truth, he called sinners to repentance, and yet he won them by his love. And we just need to understand that when we talk about some of these truths, you don't err to either side of the ditch. We need to get a deeper understanding of this. So I want to say this one more time. As a believer, yes, you need to be a friend to the lost, but you need to always make your close friends spiritual people. Those that you spend a lot of time with, those that you allow to influence your life, those need to be the right kind of friends. So when I say a friend to the lost, I'm talking about you being a friend to them. Not you looking at them as your good friend, as your close friend. There's a difference. But we need to love the lost enough to be a friend to them. 
John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Amen. This is what the gospel is all about. He gave his only son. Now, 1 John, the letter, 1 John, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the same man that wrote the Gospel of John, the same one that wrote John 3, 16. He writes this in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, on the face of it, it looks like that God loves the world and he sent Jesus his son to pay the price for our sins. But here, the same guy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's telling us, don't love the world. But he's talking about two totally different things. We need to get this. God loves the people. But he doesn't want us to love the things of this world, the ways of this world, or to have the desires of this world. He says it pretty plainly in the next verse, in verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so, we need to love the world, the people. But we should not love the things of this world, the ways of this world. We should not love the desires, the lusts of this world. And I want to tell you that a lot of Christians kind of have this out of whack because they get caught up in the things of the world and the ways of the world, but they forget about this. God loves the world. He loves the people of this world. And as His people, we got to love the people of this world. I mean, there's something wrong if we are born again children of God and we don't care about the lost because that's why Jesus came. He loves them. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, this is what he wants. He's, he doesn't want anybody to miss heaven. He wants all to come to repentance. We need to have that heart. We don't want anybody to miss heaven. We want all of them to come to repentance. Luke 19 and 10 tells us that this is why Jesus came. He said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. He said, he came, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that, that which was lost. That's why he came. Guess what? That was you and me. Hey, we were all lost. It doesn't matter how good you are, what, who, whose family you were born in. We were all born sinners. We were all lost. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we need to remember now, some of us, is not that hard. You remember clearly what it was like before you knew the Lord. But all of us need to remember that we were all lost at one time, and He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came 
to seek and to save those lost people that you know, that maybe you do business with, people at your school, people whose paths you cross, he came to seek and to save them. We're going to go to the Matthew chapter 9 and look at verses 9 through 13, and this is one of several similar passages, but I want to look at this passage a little closer, and if you have your Bible, you might go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. This is the same Matthew that wrote the gospel, Matthew. He's writing about himself in the third person, but he knows this story very well because he's the guy in the story. Verse 10, it says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, here it comes, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. This is not just something he was accused of. This is something that happened here in this passage that as he sat in the house, many tax collectors. Now, when we say tax collectors, you know, nobody's really fond of the IRS. Well, just take that about 10 levels higher. Because in this culture, those tax collectors were considered to be, well, most of the time they were, thieves. They extorted the people. They took advantage And they were considered to be the worst of the worst kind of sinners. I don't know what you might consider to be the worst kind of sinners today, but in that culture, in that society, those those were some of the very worst of sinful people. And here he, he records that tax collectors and sinners... Now, we're all sinners, amen? I mean, we're all born sinners, but listen to this. These people, they were known for being a sinner. I mean, they had a reputation. Tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there's several important principles here. First, Jesus spent time with sinners. He spent time with those that weren't considered to be righteous, in a sense, maybe you could say unchurched. And again, you see, a lot of the time, it's not that people have never known about Jesus, but so many have lost their way. Sometimes we as church people, we can just kind of get to the place where we have so little association with lost people. I'm going to say it again. Our best friends need to be spiritual people. Probably friends at church. People that we do life with. But we also need to have relationships with the lost, with the people that we are reaching out to, to befriend them, to help them. You know, we see this in the Lord Jesus, that many times he has conversations, he reaches out to people that 
a lot of religious people would have had nothing to do with. One of the best examples is in John chapter 4 when Jesus ministers to a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well. And some of you know the story, but this woman was surprised that Jesus was talking with her, first of all, because she was a woman. And in that culture, it was just kind of a thing, you know. And so she's surprised that he's talking with her. But not only that, but because she was a Samaritan. And the Jews had such animosity towards the Samaritans. They didn't have anything to do with one another. And yet, here's Jesus talking to this woman, engaging her in conversation to minister to her. I mean, it'd be like you talking to a drug dealer. Ooh, why are they talking to that person? But I'm just telling you that Jesus related to people. He reached out to people. He didn't run from them and keep them away, but instead he was reaching out to people. You know, the attitude of the Pharisees was that you can join our club if you want to, if you'll do what we say. But they didn't really care. If anybody joined their club, they liked it just fine the way it is. And it's a crazy thing, but I can tell you, I have met church people and known church people in the past. Nobody in this church, praise God. But I have known church people that actually had that mentality. This is our church, and we like it. And if they don't like it, they don't need to come. And they didn't. I'm just telling you, Jesus never had that attitude, but he was always want. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He always wanted to reach the lost. This is not an exclusive organization, organism. I'm talking about the body of Jesus. It is for everybody. It is for whosoever will. And I'm just telling you, we need to be reaching out as long as there are lost people. The Lord will not be satisfied. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And neither should we be satisfied. In verse 12, Jesus says that the healthy don't need a doctor. And he's by no means implying that those Pharisees didn't need something. He certainly was not saying they were healthy. He had told them before that they were like tombs full of dead men's bones. So he's not saying that they're okay, but he is saying to them, it is those who are sinners that need a Savior. And we need to realize that. Those lost people out there, oh, they need a Savior. They may not know it, but they need a Savior. And those are the ones that Jesus came to say. Now, I want to just mention this, that Jesus, it says he, he said, he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, isn't this amazing that these people would gather around him when he's, he's not watering it down for them. He came and preached the truth. He's preaching repentance to them, telling them the truth, calling them to repentance. I want you to get this. You see, Jesus wasn't satisfied for them to just go on in their way of life. He called them to repentance. But Jesus didn't stand 
and yell at them from a distance and say, you're bad and what you do is bad and you're going to hell. Jesus had a rapport with these people. They came to where he was. And so many of them, their lives were forever changed because Jesus was willing to reach out to those people. I want you to understand, Jesus didn't just hang out with people. He was there to minister to them. And I think we ought to try to be the kind of friend to the lost that Jesus was. We're not just hanging out with them. We're there for a reason, for a purpose, to minister to them, to be a friend to them, to help them. Jesus didn't judge them. He didn't condemn them. He said things like to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. See, he knew they were sinners. He knew the condition of their heart, but he ministered grace to them. He showed them love and mercy. He talked to them about spiritual things. See, we we need to reach out to the lost. And certainly, it's okay, it's good to have some casual conversation. You know, small talk. But we need to remember that we're not there just to hang out. We're there to minister to them. They need a spiritual friend. They got the other kind. But they need somebody like Jesus who talks about meaningful things. You know, that's one of the things. Maybe, maybe there's, I'm sure there's lots of different conversations that just didn't get recorded in the Scripture. But the amazing thing is, of all the stories that are recorded about Jesus interacting with people, it was always about something that mattered. Something meaningful. And so, yes, we need to be a friend to the lost, But it needs to be meaningful. It means to be something where we're actually influencing, having impact in their life. But you can't effectively witness to someone or have any influence if you don't ever talk to them. We always think of Jesus teaching and preaching and reaching the masses. But he was very relational. He talked to people in personal conversations, lost people. And we need to do that. The church, us, we are his body in the earth today, doing his work, reaching the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning from verse 17. And I'm going to read this from the NIV. It's just a little simpler. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now that verse of Scripture is very familiar to most of us, one translation or another. We're familiar with that verse because it speaks to us of our new birth in Christ and what it means To be a Christian, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. And Oh, it's wonderful that we know that verse, but I want to tell you, I think that we need to know the next three. I think we ought to be just as familiar with the next three verses. 
All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Just to simplify here, when he says reconciled us through Christ, he brought us back into relationship, back close to God. And now he has given us, the church, that same ministry to bring people back to God, to bring people back into a relationship with God. That's our ministry as a church. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. I want to tell you a lot of people have a problem with that phrase. They got that attitude, God's going to get you. I want to tell you, God is well able to take care of their sin, just like he took care of yours and mine not counting their sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Who is God making his appeal to the world through? It's you and me. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when you read the Gospels, you see this over and over again, that Jesus gets involved in the lives of people so he can help them, so he can minister to them. And we are his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. We need to try to be a friend to the lost so we can help them. We can't reach them if we're adversarial with them. Hear me now. We can't reach people that we are adversarial with. It seems like so much of the time in our world today, everybody is divisive about everything. Everybody looks for what we disagree on so we can disagree You can't reach people if you're adversarial with them. You can't reach people if you alienate them. we got to show them the love of God. We're trying to win them, not alienate them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read 19 through 22. We'll work our way through it just quickly, but... The Apostle Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. That doesn't mean that he just did what everybody wanted. He said that if I seek to please men, that I shouldn't be the servant of Christ. He was not a people pleaser. It's not that he just did whatever everybody said or everybody wanted. That's not at all what he's saying. The Apostle Paul, like the Lord Jesus, even though he was reaching out to the lost, he in no way did what they do. He didn't participate in their sins. He didn't participate in their compromise. We need to understand this about being a friend of the lost. It is never that we compromise. That we keep ourselves above reproach. That we live a holy life like our Savior. 
But he laid aside, the Apostle Paul, he laid aside his pride. He laid aside his selfish ambitions and desires. He laid aside his personal needs in order to reach people. Listen to this from verse 20. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews. Why did he do it? That I might win Jews. To those who are under the law is under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Those who are without the law as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. We need to understand that he is relating to these people. He's finding a commonality with these people where he can talk to them about Jesus in a way that there's a hope that he might win them. He's not looking to offend them. He's not looking for a way to disagree. He's looking for a way to win them over. And we need to have this mentality. I want to be a friend to the lost that I might be able to win them to Jesus made myself a servant to all. That's what he said, a servant. The very nature of a servant or of serving is to meet someone else's need. It's not about what we want, but it's about what others need. And nobody should in any way take this message this morning as an excuse to go hang out with lost people and compromise because that's what you want. No, this is all about what they need. It's about ministering to them and helping them. They need somebody to be Christ's representative and reach out to them. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What a heart, what a passion he had to win the lost. I've become all things to all men. Are you willing to be a friend to the lost that you might save some? And I want to say this again. He didn't alienate people because he wanted to win them. And I want to say Jesus didn't alienate sinners. We see that in the Scripture. But the Pharisees did. And there are some Christians today that have that same mentality where it's like they want to alienate people. They want to be adverse, adversarial with people. They want a conflict. And they're not reaching anybody. If they reject the gospel, I want it to be because they reject Jesus and not because we were arrogant or pushy. You know, Jesus was meek and gentle. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says it himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is our Savior. And he says, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. In Matthew chapter 12, the very next chapter, Matthew quotes prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. What does that mean? Jesus didn't break a bruised reed. He found a way to bring healing to those who had been rejected, to those who had been hurt. Jesus found a way. He didn't finish them off. 
No, he found a way to bring healing to that bruised reed. He didn't snuff out a smoldering flax. He found a way to bring fire back into somebody's life. I mean, if there was just a little smoke there, that, you know, maybe they had had a relationship with God, or, you know, there was just a little hunger there, a little desire there. He found a way to fan it into flame and bring it back to life. He didn't snuff out a smoldering wick. And I'm telling you, when it comes to the loss, that needs to be our attitude. We're not pushy. We're not arrogant. But we're gentle and we are humble in the way that we reach out to them and minister to them. We want to help them. Not just tell them what they're doing wrong. We got to help them. Everybody needs a spiritual friend. Everybody needs a spiritual friend. The pastor needs a spiritual friend. Every single one of us needs a spiritual friend. The lost need a spiritual friend. I think sometimes... You know, people come to church, and it's hard for them to make friends. Now, i got to say, we have wonderful greeters and so many people who are so friendly and love everybody and genuinely want to help people and serve people. But I just want to encourage you this, that all the more. When somebody new shows up at our church, that we want to make a connection with those people. We want to befriend those people. And I mean something more than just... Hello, how are you? But we actually build a relationship with those people because here's what I know as a pastor is that sooner or later, most of them will leave if they don't find some real connections in the body of Christ. It is a big reason why there's so many in the church today that float around and eventually just end up out of church. We need those relationships, those connections. We need to befriend those new people. Now, if you're new here, I have to tell you that since COVID and we come back from COVID, there are so many new people. Don't assume that that person that you're talking to has been here very long. They may be just as new as you. But church, we just need to be friendly to everybody that comes. Be willing to be a spiritual friend to them. You see, it's, it's so true out in the world, but I tell, even in the body of Christ sometimes, there are people that God has put a hunger or something inside of them. The Holy Spirit has drawn them here. They may not even know why they came here. But I want to tell you, if God brought them here, it, it is an opportunity for us to reach them. So much of the time, they need a spiritual friend, somebody that will help them. we got to care enough about them to befriend them. In Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19... It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus never had that adversarial attitude towards the lost. Neither should we. What if you befriending somebody would make a difference in their eternity? I remember as a 17-year-old boy, excuse me, young people, as a 17-year-old man, whichever way you want to see it, 
and I believed in Jesus. I had prayed the prayer. But I was still so messed up. And at a football game one night, Friday night football game, I had been drinking. And I met some 15-year-old girl. Hi, my name's so-and-so, my name's so-and-so. Never seen her before. The next Monday at school, never seen her before at school. I passed, crossed paths with her in the hall. She has one thing to say to me. I want you to come to my church. And after that, I went to church, and her and others would call me. They stayed after me. They made sure I was there. And I'm standing here 40-something years later. Everybody needs a spiritual friend. And we just need to see how God can use us that way if our heart is right about it. I want to go to one last passage of Scripture, and you don't have to turn there. Most of you are familiar with the story, but I, I just want to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. You see, it's kind of strange how much this happens where we say that we love the lost and yet we have so little to do with them. It's really just religious talk. I like the, the little saying here, it just well says it really well. To love the whole world for me is no chore. The only problem's my neighbor next door. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it is. It's easy for us to say we love everybody, but what about that person whose path you cross today? Do you love them? Or is it just everybody? We need to make this real in our life where we are doers of the word and not just pretending we love everybody. If we love everybody, then we're willing to reach out to everybody. We're willing to help somebody. Yes, you need to be led of the Holy Spirit, but we need to be doing this. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story, what we call the Good Samaritan, but he tells this story to illustrate what it means to love our neighbor. In verse 25, it tells us a certain lawyer stood up testing him. And this is, this is nothing to do with like an attorney today, but these lawyers that, that it speaks of were those who studied the Word of God. This was something they really knew the Bible, all right? They really knew the Scripture, at least the Old Testament. They really knew it. He knew what it said, but the Scripture says that he was testing Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. you got to get that in there. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, he knows what is right, but he doesn't do it. And he wants to justify himself. How do I know that? Because it tells us in the very next verse. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
You see, as long as we just leave it at this big question mark, who is my neighbor? We don't really have to do it. Jesus tells the story to illustrate a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I just want to tell you that we don't really know if this was an actual event that Jesus was talking about or if it was just a story that he made up to relate the truth here. But I will tell you this, that this would have been a common occurrence, that trip from Jerusalem, uh, that road was often fraught with thieves and robbers and murderers from Jerusalem to Jericho. That was something that was common. And so when he talked about this, it was something that everybody could relate to. And here's this man who's been beaten and robbed and left half dead. And verse 31 tells us that a priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite also came and looked and passed by on the other side. Finally, a Samaritan comes along, and he has compassion on him. He cleans him up. He bandages him, bandages his wounds. He takes him to a place where he can be nursed back to health. And he pays for whatever expenses there are going to be. And then Jesus asked the question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? The man answers, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Jesus asks, who was a neighbor to him? And I want to put it to you this way this morning. Who was a friend to him? The man who showed him mercy. The man who helped him. He was neighbor to him. He was a friend to him. And you see, we need to see the lost as those who have need. And a lot of the time, just like this man in the story, there are obvious needs in their life. We know there's trouble. We know they have problems. We know that they don't know what we know. And they need our help. But we have to be willing to be their neighbor. We have to be willing to be their friend to help them. The Samaritan in the story, he went out of his way. The priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. He didn't. He crossed the road to help. He had compassion. He cared. He got involved. He gave of his time. He took time to bandage the man up and to take him somewhere where he could be cared for. And he even used his own money to help the man. And I just want you to understand that we can't be like those who just pass by the other side, that we need to be a friend of the lost. You know, Jesus makes it so clear that our neighbor is that person in need. And we need to be careful that we're not just passing by people every day that we could befriend and help along their way. You know, some of them, they just need somebody to care. Some of them, they need some guidance in their life. Some of them, they need somebody to pray for them. Some of them need an invite to church, amen? And some of them just need a real friend, a spiritual friend, 
who cares about them and wants to help see them close to Jesus. Be a friend to the lost. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray.